Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And Jacob, where are we recording the podcast from today? Joey, we are inside the legislative building. I repeat, inside the legislative building. (laughs) We are all together. We are in the press room here with several of our colleagues, and we are annoying the AP reporter, Gabe Stern, who's trying to work over on the couch. Hi, Gabe. Hi, honored to be here. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. So, Jacob, we are talking about a lot of stuff today. We're talking about nursing shortages. We're talking about resort fees. We're talking about homeless bill of rights. Uh, We're talking about a lot of stuff. And to start off, we are joined by our fellow colleague, Tabitha Mueller. Tabitha, how's it going? It's going well. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome to the legislature. Thank you. It's a very intimate recording. We're all kind of sitting in the corner. (laughs) We're all very close to each other Yes. So let's start off. Tabitha, tell us a little bit about this nursing shortage that we're facing here in Nevada. So Nevada has been facing a nursing shortage for a while. It's been pretty critical levels. But during the pandemic, it got a lot worse, especially, you know, you're seeing long hours. Private companies pay more and better than like what you can do for a hospital. And so we actually have a shortage of about 4,000 nurses. So we need 4,000 nurses here in Nevada. And so lawmakers, lobbyists, Healthcare professionals are all talking about this issue of how do we solve this crisis? And everyone has different ideas or different ways of thinking about it. So it's a pretty contentious issue right now. That's right. And there's basically two ways that you can look at solving it. And for the audience, I've also been covering this shortage as our our higher ed reporter. So you can either bring in nurses from elsewhere or you can find a way to get more nurses through the pipeline, teach more nurses at colleges and figure it out that way. Both those things, you know, there's bills in the works, but both of them have their own problems. So what is kind of the proposed solutions right now to curb this shortage? So there's a couple and I'm sure Jacob can take a stab at this too from the kind of higher education perspective, but one of them is called the Nurses Compact. Basically, it's a multi-state license that Nevada could then sign on to. And then if a nurse held one of those multi-state licenses, he or she could work in Nevada, they could work in California, they could work in Oregon, any member of that group, which would basically just make it so we could have more nurses here in the state and open it up. Another solution that kind of has been pitched, and Jacob, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this one, but one is to say, look, we actually have a problem with the nursing pipeline. We are not training enough nurses to meet the demand for nurses that's taking place. So the hospital association has said on multiple occasions, what if we lowered barrier to entry for teachers, right? Do they all have to have a master's? Can they be working professional nurses? But there's some issues with that. That's right. And so class sizes for nurses are very small. But the problem for uh, nursing instructors, right, or certainly I've talked to people from UNR and the Nevada State College nursing schools, and basically what they say is that, look, people in nursing classes barely get any face time as is with their instructors, because if you look at the amount of clinical study they can actually do, it's already limited with small class sizes. You make that bigger, you're reducing the amount of one-on-one time that these students are getting with instructors. And so what they say is the problem is that instructors aren't actually being paid enough to compete with the private sector, right? You could make almost twice as much money working for a hospital as you could working for a university. And they have a lot more inflexibility when it comes to actually hiring these instructors than say the private sector does. And that's what they say is the problem. And we've heard conversations about wages for nurses, but what the hospital say is, look, nursing wages are actually pretty high relative to other nurses across the country. So that's less the issue for them. What is the impact of not having enough nurses in the state right now? Obviously, like, if you go to the hospital, you're going to get a nurse, but is it just that you're going to have to wait longer? Like, what, what does that mean for the average Nevadan right now? I mean, what that means, though, is that nurses are overwhelmed with the number of people that they're having to care for, right? You have nurses now who have 
more people than they're supposed to that they're they're taking care of. There's like an ideal patient to nurse ratio. We are way far away from that. We have an older nursing population as well. So nurses are actually getting to the age of retirement and there aren't new nurses coming in to replace them. This is also a problem on the pipeline end is, is that the age of nursing instructors is getting higher and higher and higher because it's so difficult to hire new instructors because mm -hmm. younger nurses are simply not going into the teaching side of this. And a lot of nurses are going into work for insurance companies or, or other you know higher paying wages that they don't have to deal with the stressors that we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. A concept that I've heard about is traveling nurses, right? Are we using traveling nurses here in Nevada to kind of help bolster our, our already low nursing population? Or is that something that's kind of different? We are. We are using travel nurses. However, the problem with travel nurses is they're not a permanent member of the community and they make significantly higher wages than working nurses. So that's also actually exacerbating the problem because why would I want to work for a hospital employed full time if I could be a traveling nurse and can pick up and go whenever I want? and make a lot more money. One thing I do wanna add is that this extends beyond just the nursing shortage. We have a provider shortage, and specifically a specialized care provider. So I've been talking with cancer patients for another story I've been working on. Most people who have cancer in Nevada get their care outside of the state, or if they have a specialized form where the universities don't you know, have the care that they need, and so they're going to California or Colorado or other locations. We're stressed not only in urban areas, but especially in rural ones. And it's driving up costs for consumers, too. Yeah. And when you talk about that physician shortage, this is something that, say, the medical schools are aware of. So, right, there's been this big push in the last 10 years to get a medical school stood up in Las Vegas, right, one of the biggest metro areas in the country without its own medical school. And now it's finally graduating students. And so many of these students are actually going out of state for residencies in other states because they simply do not exist in Nevada. And a lot of these residencies are specialized. They're very specific programs. And the thing is, is that these students, once they leave Nevada, there is zero guarantee that they're going to come back. I was talking to the medical education deans at both UNR and UNLV, and the money they're asking for is $50 million for residency programs. And that's, that's not a chunk of change that the legislature would dole out lightly. Well, we're going to leave it there for now. I'm sure there'll be a lot more reporting on this as the session continues. I'm sure we'll be paying attention to it. Tabitha, you've got lots of stories coming up, and there's lots of bills proposed to help curb this shortage. But now let's jump over to Jacob and I talking to Howard. Now we're talking about something totally different, which is resorts fees. Uh, we are now here with, with our gaming reporter, Howard Stutz. Hello, Howard. How's it going? Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. And so I'll start off here by just asking, we're talking about resorts fees. For those who don't know, there's big resort fees when you, when you stay at these hotels, you know, anywhere in Nevada, right? Pretty much on the Strip and, and in Reno are, you know, the Reno properties, downtown Vegas. I mean, you're thinking when you say resort fees, you're looking at a resort properties. That's really what it is in Nevada. But I mean, if you go out of state, stay somewhere, you will probably have a resort fee, possibly the size of the hotel, depending on where you're staying. For the strip in downtown and, and probably Reno, you're looking at like $15 to $50 a night. That covers a whole variety of, of things, such as use of the pool, use of the spa and salon, bottles of water in your room, or just li little types of incidentals that you used to pay for separately. When you, you know, when you check out, you know, there's, here's, you use the pool, so you're paying, you know, XX dollars for the, for that. This is just a way that they cover all these charges in one, in one swoop. When you book the room, almost all the hotel casinos, 
it's part of the booking process. You see that if you're booking it online, $180 a night, there's a $40 a night resort fee charge on that. Now, this is not including room taxes and everything else that go along. This is just the basic room charge, but then they add on the resort fee. I'm curious, how did everyone react when the president brought it up in his State of the Union, right, where he said that, you know, it's outrageous that resorts that aren't resorts are charging resort fees? Right. He brought it up because the Federal Trade Commission is looking at what's known as junk fees. And that's like, you know, charges with the airlines. They were talking about the airlines might charge a family an extra fee to make sure you can all sit together in one row. I mean, it's very weird little things like that. Biden brought it up and he mentioned resort fees. Well, the next day, the American Gaming Association, which had been dealing with this with the Federal Trade Commission since this first started coming out, put out a seven-page letter saying that resort fees are not junk fees. They're, they're not hidden. They're, the industry is very transparent. What was interesting was that it was very silent on the strip from the strip operators. I asked, you know, I asked them, and the resort, Nevada Resort Association, they all stayed silent because I let the AGA just take the front center on this. Representative Titus came out with a, a statement, you know, saying these are transparent and, and, of course, invited the president to come to District 1 and, and stay at one of the hotels and see. Maybe he will when he comes into Vegas in, in the next week or so. So this was really debated about five, six years ago when it, when it started happening. That's when the industry decided to start charging resort fees. So they've dealt with it. They've, they've decided just let the AGA stay front and center on this, be the ones out there, and they're just staying quite, kind of staying quiet on this whole matter. Anyone familiar with Vegas Twitter has seen people complain about resort fees, but I guess is the argument from the industry then that even if they were to like unbundle the word resort from all these fees, okay, now they're just itemized on your receipt and you'd pay them anyways. That's a great point, Jacob. And there's also the argument that why don't you just bundle them all in with the room charge? You know, just just do that and put it all in the room charge. Well, not everybody, you know, it, it, that would be even worse, I think, because now you're hit. Now you're hiding all this stuff that, that you get for that room. And the room rate what was one eighty forty dollar night resort fee makes it a two hundred and twenty dollar night room. So that's a. I think that's really the argument with it. There's two sides. I mean, I've heard others, some people saying, put it all in, add it to the room charge. And the others saying, no, we like the way they do this. All right, Howard. Well, thanks for joining Jacob and I on the podcast. And uh, we appreciate you talking about this topic. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we wrapped up with Howard and our editor, Michelle Rendell's has jumped on real quick. Uh, and unfortunately, Jacob had to run. He'll be right back on the podcast. There's some breaking news that you'll find out about on uh, the NevadaIndependent.com. Just go read Jacob's bylines. But anyway, Michelle is here to talk a little bit more about the resort fees before we wrap up talking about that real quick. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Joey. So you wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the opposition voice a little bit to, you know, what the resort fees are, right? Yeah. And actually, one of our columnists, David Colborn, spoke in his column this weekend about why he thinks resort fees should be eliminated. Uh, had some interesting things to say about that. You know, one of his arguments is that if resorts are going to have these extra fees, why don't they just roll it in and say that's the base room, right? And his contention is that this is for search engines, that when you search and you see that the, you know, resort you want to go to is only $80, even if there's a small print that says $50 resort fee added on, you might just start booking and looking into that $80 room because that price grabbed you initially. So in, in his estimation, resort fees are bamboozling the customer and really should just be considered 
basic base room rates. Yeah. And by the time like you get to the checkout process, right? Like you think you're getting $80 a night and then you get to the checkout process. There's an extra $50 a night every night for resort fee or however much it is. Right. And at that point you're like, well, I've already gotten this far and I've already like made my decision. Right. So it's kind of like a gotcha at the very end of checking out. Right. You've almost made the decision mentally at that point to stay there. Yeah. That's his argument. And he says, you know, you can't reject the resort fee if you don't use certain amenities. It's not like a parking fee where you could just not park there or some other types of fees that you can just avoid by not using the service. But if you were to show up and say, I don't want to pay the resort fee, I'm not sure that would go over too well. All right, Michelle. Well, thanks so much for hopping on to talk a little bit more about resort fees. Uh, Now we're going to hop back over to the the legislative room where uh, we've all been gathering to, to talk about bills that are going on in the legislative session right now. So thanks. Thanks, Joey. All right, Jacob, well, we have gathered all of the indie reporters in the press room around one microphone. We're all kind of having to lean in. Uh, welcome, Carly Savageo, Sean Galanka, Tabitha Mueller. For, thank you for joining Jacob and I to talk about the legislature. So to start off, we're going to talk about the Homeless Bill of Rights. This is something you've been reporting on, Carly. Tell me a little bit about this. This is a thing that was presented to the legislature recently. Basically, it's a bill sponsored by um, Dallas Harris, and it is basically a declaration that says people who are homeless have as the same rights as anyone else. But it didn't just start out that way, right, Carly? Yes, it was actually quite, had a lot of discussion around it, a lot of testimonies, because initially the bill said that a homeless person could be in any public space, including parks and government buildings, and this is against some local laws. Right before the hearing, then Dallas Harris submitted some amendments that said they just had that right to the extent of any other Nevadan. Right. And and it's interesting because this bill was, it actually had protections in, and then it got significantly watered down, like midway through. Yeah, exactly. It was basically kind of actually gave homeless people some legal rights, and now it's just a declaration, essentially. And that's a, that's a common thing we're going to see throughout this session. You know, bills that propose big changes, and then they get a lot of opposition, and they're watered down to something that really doesn't change very much. Yeah, the joke is usually that bills get watered down into a study. So this is the sort of declaration equivalent. Yeah, so it's not creating anything new in terms of laws. It's not changing any current laws. It's just kind of this acknowledgement of, of, of homeless individuals and, and their current rights. Yes. Okay. Well, anything else going on in the legislature that you guys are paying attention to, the legislative team? There's, there's been kind of a lot going on, right? Yeah, right now, just just hours before we were recording this podcast, the Assembly Ways and Means Committee passed a bill that would grant state employees the first set of $500 bonuses that Governor Joe Lombardo talked about during his State of the State address. But that bill was passed today with a, a strong amendment that would basically cut out thousands of higher education employees who would have received the bonuses under an original version of the bill. And just to not understate how many employees this is, this is a difference between paying out these bonuses to something like 16,000 or 17,000 state employees versus something like 25,000 state employees. So it's a lot of people that got sliced out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tabitha, what have you been paying attention to this week at the legislature? There's been a lot going on. Last week, we saw a pretty contentious bill hearing, also a bill sponsored by Senator Dallas Harris. And basically, this legislation would make it so that Minors could receive preventative STI, which is sexually transmitted infections, like preventative measures against that without parental consent. And so, you know, you had 
advocates saying this is really needed and could really cut down on the number of HIV infections here in Nevada, as well as empower youths who are going to be having sex to have conversations with their doctors and if they might not feel comfortable going to their parents. On the other side, you have opposition comments saying that this took away the parents' right to parent and, and have a say over what happens to their child. And so it was just a very, it was a very long, I mean, I think it was about three and a half hours. Mm. But it, I think it really exhibited just the legislative process and how, you know, there's so many bills that are coming through this building. Just to mix up the, the flavor of bill, I want to talk about beer really quick, Joey. There is a beer bill, and it created a, a massive outpouring, an outcry, I should say, from the distributors in the state, the wholesalers, because this would allow craft beer makers to transport their own beer from their brew pubs to their tasting rooms, essentially from a facility that can make beer and sell it to another facility that can only sell it. And this made the distributors livid, essentially because it touches a thing called the three-tier system, where you're not allowed to be a distributor, a producer, and a retailer. You can pick one, but you cannot be more than one. And the distributors say, this is cheating. This mm -hmm. this totally spits on the three-tier system. This is kind of a holdover, too, from uh, Prohibition, right? It is. Well, right after Prohibition, a bunch of states created these three-tiered systems to basically quickly and easily regulate how alcohol works. And so now this has been sort of like the Bible, like, okay, no one touches how this system works. And now we've sort of loosened the rules for craft breweries in the 90s. This would loosen it even further, and the distributors are not happy. But the craft brewers basically argue that you know, only 3% of beer consumed in Nevada is made in Nevada. And so the, the industry is being stifled by the outside companies already. We should make it easier for craft brewers to, to produce more. And if beer isn't your substance of choice, Senator Rochelle Wynn and some other Democratic lawmakers have introduced a bill that would decriminalize magic mushrooms up to four ounces. It also intends to, to legalize their use in clinical trials and, and research studies. Big question of whether that bill is going anywhere, but it has been introduced. And I think the last thing that I'm kind of keeping an eye on and that we expect to hear sometime this week is a medical aid in dying or physician-assisted death. Essentially, that's come before the legislature a number of times. It was carried first by Senator Parks and is now carried by Senator Flores. And essentially what that that bill aims to do is say if you're a terminally ill patient and you have used every means possible for yourself, you can now access physician-assisted death. And so I, I, that, that hearing should be interesting and, and it's always kind of a, there's a lot of different perspectives. Okay, well, there's a lot more going on at the legislative session. You can find that in our newsletter, Behind the Bar, as well as just on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. We'll have more legislative coverage on the podcast as well in the coming weeks. But I wanted to end with one fun little thing that happened today. Tabitha, you came running into the press room earlier, and you said, guys, there's people getting married out in the hallway right now. <laughs> yeah. The two lobbyists just got married in the hallway, and Senator Pat Spearman uh, uh, officiated it. It was it was it was intimate. It was lovely. It was beautiful. It was about four minutes long, uh, and it was great. I I was not expecting to be part of a wedding party today. No, and I think that's that kind of thing that sometimes happens in the legislature where you're walking through the halls and all of a sudden something else is changing, right? Yeah. So I remember last session. I think it was Senator Flores, Assemblyman Flores at the time, and Senator Hansen. They dressed up in KFC outfits and handed out Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, you know, welcome to the legislature. That's right. All right. Well, Tabitha, Sean, Carly, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. We're, we.
We, we, do, we, hey guys, we we do have to. Hey, we do have to record the outro real quick. Like thirty seconds, real quick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Tabitha Mueller, Howard Stutz, Carly Savageo, Sean Galanka, and AP reporter Gabe Stern, who had to listen to us record this for being on the show today. <laughs> uh, this show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells, and of course, my lovely co-host, Jacob Solis. Aw. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, Tom Fox, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Very long hot dog. Wow, that is a big. I had a chili dog and it. Yeah, it was. That's a big hot dog game. Look, if I'm paying for a hot dog, I want it to be. No, it was like twelve dollars. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm sorry. Was that recorded? That's, that's on the pod. <laughs> Podcast title. Joey's not happy about a twelve dollar hot dog. <laughs>